Chapter sixty of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. Sixty. Divine Service. The next day the curate called again on Leopold. But Helen happened to be otherwise engaged for a few minutes, and Mrs. Ramshorn to be in the sick room when the servant brought his name with her jealousy of wingfold's teaching she would not have admitted him but lingard made such loud protest when he heard her say not at home insisting on seeing him that she had to give way and tell the maid to show him up she had no notion however of leaving him alone in the room with the invalid who could tell what absurd and extravagant ideas he might not put into the boy's head he might make him turn monk or socinian or latter-day saint for what she knew so she sat, blocking up the sole small window in the youth's dark dwelling that looked eastward, and damming back the tide of the dawn from his diseased and tormented soul. Little conversation was therefore possible. Still the face of his new friend was a comfort to Leopold, and ere he left him they had managed to fix an hour for the next day when they would not be thus foiled of their talk. That same afternoon Wingfold took the draper to see Polworth. Rachel was lying on the sofa in the parlour, a poor little heap, looking more like a grave disturbed by efforts at a resurrection than a form informed with humanity. But she was cheerful and cordial, receiving Mr. Drew, and accepted his sympathy most kindly. "'We'll see what God will do for me,' she said in answer to a word from the curate. Her whole bearing, now as always, was that of one who perfectly trusted a supreme spirit under whose influences lay even the rugged material of her deformed dwelling." Polworth allowed Wingfold to help him in getting tea, and the conversation, as will be the case where all are in earnest, quickly found the right channel. It is not often in real life that such conversations occur. Generally, in any talk worth calling conversation, every man has some point to maintain, and his object is to justify his own thesis and disprove his neighbor's. I will allow that he may primarily have adopted his thesis because of some sign of truth in it, but his mode of supporting it is generally such as to block up every cranny in his soul at which more truth might enter. In the present case, unusual as it is for so many as three truth-loving men to come thus together on the face of this planet, here were three simply set on uttering truth they had seen, and gaining sight of truth as yet veiled from them i shall attempt only a general impression of the result of their evening's intercourse partly recording the utterances of polworth i have been trying hard to follow you mr polworth said the draper after his host had for a while had the talk to himself but i cannot get a hold of your remarks one moment i think i have got the end of the clue and the next i find myself all abroad again would you tell me what you mean by divine service for i think you must use the phrase in some different sense from what i have been accustomed to ah i ought to remember said polworth that what has grown familiar to my mind from much solitary thinking may not at once show itself to another when presented in the forms of a foreign individuality i ought to have premised that when i use the phrase divine service i mean nothing whatever belonging to the church or its observances i mean by it what it ought to mean the serving of god the doing of something for god shall i make of the church in my foolish imaginations a temple of idolatrous worship by supposing that it is for the sake of supplying some need that god has or of gratifying some taste in him that i there listen to his word say prayers to him and sing his praises shall i be such a dull mule in the presence of the living truth 
or to use a homely simile shall i be as the good boy of the nursery rhyme who seated in his corner of selfish complacency regards the eating of his pie as a virtuous action enjoys the contemplation of it and thinks what a pleasant object he thus makes of himself to his parents shall i to take a step farther degrade the sanctity of the closet hallowed in the words of jesus by shutting its door in the vain fancy of their doing something that god requires of me as a sacred observance shall i foolishly imagine that to put in exercise the highest and loveliest the most entrancing privilege of existence that of pouring forth my whole heart into the heart of him who is accountable for me who hath glorified me with his own image in my soul gentlemen sadly disfigured as it is in my body shall i say that that is to do anything for god was i serving my father when i ate the dinner he provided for me am i serving my god when i eat his bread and drink his wine but said drew is not god pleased that a man should pour out his soul to him yes doubtless but what would you think of a child who said i am very useful to my father for when i ask him for anything or tell him i love him it gives him oh such pleasure i should say he was an unendurable prig better he had to be whipped for stealing said the curate there would be more hope of his future returned polworth is the child he continued who sits by his father's knee and looks up into his father's face serving that father because the heart of the father delights to look down upon his child and shall the moment of my deepest repose and bliss the moment when i serve myself with the very life of the universe be called a serving of my god it is communion with god he holds it with me else never could i hold it with him i am as the foam froth upon his infinite ocean but of the water of the ocean is the bubble on its waves not the eyes only but the whole face of the man which had grown of a pure semi-transparent whiteness appeared to wingfold to admit light when my child would serve me he went on he spies out some need i have springs from his seat at my knee finds that which will meet my necessity and is my eager happy servant of consequence in his own eyes inasmuch as he has done something for his father his seat by my knee is love delight well-being peace not service however pleasing in my eyes why do you seat yourself at my knee my son to please you father nay then my son go from me and come again when it shall be to please thyself why do you cling to my chair my daughter because i want to be near you father it makes me so happy come nearer still come to my bosom my child and be yet happier talk not of public worship as divine service it is a mockery search the prophets and you will find the observances fasts and sacrifices and solemn feasts of the temple by them regarded with loathing and scorn just because by the people they were regarded as divine service but said mr drew while wingfold turned towards him with some anxiety lest he should break the mood of the little prophet i can't help thinking i have you for how are poor creatures like us weak blundering creatures sometimes most awkward when best intentioned how are we to minister to a perfect god perfect in wisdom strength and everything of whom paul says that he is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything i cannot help thinking that you are fighting merely with a word certainly if the phrase was ever used in that sense there is no meaning of the kind attached to it now it stands merely for the forms of public worship were there no such thing as divine service in the true sense of the word then indeed it would scarcely be worth while to quarrel with its misapplication but i assert that true and genuine service may be rendered to the living god and for the development of divine nature in man it is necessary that he should do something for god nor is it hard to discover how for god is in every creature that he has made and in their needs he is needy and in all their afflictions he is afflicted therefore jesus says that whatever is done to one of his little ones is done to him 
and if the soul of a man be the temple of the spirit then is the place of that man's labor his shop his counting-house his laboratory the temple of jesus christ where the spirit of the man is incarnate in work mr drew here the gatekeeper stood up and held out both his hands palms upward towards the draper on the other side of the table mr drew your shop is the temple of your service where the lord christ the only image of the father is or ought to be throned your counter is or ought to be his altar and everything thereon laid with the intent of doing as well as you can for your neighbor in the name of the man christ jesus is a true sacrifice offered to him a service done to the eternal creating love of the universe the little prophet's head as he stood did not reach the level of the drapers as he sat but at this drew dropped his head on his hands upon the table as if bowed down by a weight of thought and feeling and worship i say not polworth went on that so doing you will grow a rich man but i say that so doing you will be saved from growing too rich and that you will be a fellow-worker with god for the salvation of his world i must live i cannot give my goods away murmured mr drew thinkingly as one that sought enlightenment that would be to go direct against the order of his world said polworth no a harder task is yours mr drew to make your business a gain to you and at the same time to be not only what is commonly counted just but interested in and careful of and caring for your neighbour as a servant of the god of bounty who giveth to all men liberally your calling is to do the best for your neighbour that you reasonably can but who is to fix what is reasonable asked drew the man himself thinking in the presence of jesus christ there is a holy moderation which is of god there won't be many fortunes great fortunes made after that rule mr polworth very few then do you say that no great fortunes have been righteously made if righteously means after the fashion of jesus christ but i will not judge that is for the god enlightened conscience of the man himself to do not for his neighbors why should i be judged by another man's conscience but you see mr drew and this is what i was driving at that you have it in your power to serve god through the needs of his children all the working day from morning to night so long as there is a customer in your shop i do think you are right sir said the linen draper i had a glimpse of the same thing the other night myself and yet it seems as if you spoke of a purely ideal state one that could not be realized in this world purely ideal or not one thing is certain it will never be reached by one who is so indifferent to it as to believe it impossible whether it may be reached in this world or not that is a question of no consequence whether a man has begun to reach after it is of the utmost awfulness of import and it should be ideal which i doubt what else than the ideal have the followers of the ideal man to do with can a man reach anything ideal before he has god dwelling in him filling every cranny of his soul asked the curate with shining eyes nothing i do most solemnly believe answered polworth it weighs on me heavily sometimes he resumed after a pause to think how far all but a few are from being able even to entertain the idea of the indwelling in them of the original power of their life true god is in every man else how could he live the life he does live but that life god keeps alive for the hour when he shall inform the will the aspiration the imagination of the man when the man throws wide his door to the father of his spirit when his individual being is thus supplemented to use a poor miserable word with the individuality that originated it then is the man a whole healthy complete existence then indeed and then only will he do no wrong think no wrong love perfectly and be right merry then will he scarce think of praying because god is in every thought and enters anew with every sensation then will he forgive and endure and pour out his soul for the beloved who yet grope their way in doubt and passion 
then every man will be dear and precious to him even the worst for in him also lies an unknown yearning after the same peace wherein he rests and loves he sat down suddenly and a deep silence filled the room End of chapter sixty